Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning and this Sunday's episode of our Lexio Divina during this COVID-19 quarantine. We are on Palm Sunday, kicking off Holy Week, and I'm I am Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. I'm joined by Father Gregory Pine and Father Patrick Briscoe over there in Providence, Rhode Island. So as we've been doing these past few Sundays, we are going to uh, walk through, read through the readings uh, for for the day and share our reflections, our, our thoughts, those sorts of things with you. Hopefully, as you're home, um, not able to get to Mass or to get to church, that this can be a way in which you're able to um, meditate and pray on the readings, prepare for spiritual communion, these sorts of things. So with that, why don't we begin with this Sunday's Collect. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty ever-living God, who as an example of humility for the human race to follow, caused our Savior to take flesh and submit to the cross, graciously grant that we may heed his lesson of patient suffering and so merit a share in his resurrection who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to roll right here into the first reading. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Lord God has given me a well-trained tongue, that I might know how to speak to the weary a word that will rouse them. Morning after morning, he opens my ear that I may hear, and I have not rebelled, have not turned back. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard. My face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. The Lord God is my help, therefore I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the beautiful um, examples that the prophets continue to give us this Lent uh, is their willingness to suffer. And this comes out in in a special way in the prophet Isaiah, where we hear passages like this about the suffering sermon. Uh, the one who belongs to the Lord, the one who is really um, willing to embrace the cross, um, who gives himself over again and again to whatever um, whatever sufferings are there present in his life. This is what it means to be conformed to the will of Christ, uh, to, to be conformed to the will of God, uh, rather, um, to be able to be able to give oneself over to difficulty and to suffering. That's what the suffering servant does um, to accept the will of God. And this is why Christ is such a great example of obedience for us, um, the son who is willing to suffer, um, that he gives himself over to suffering. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from puppets and spitting. Um, Christ, in his perfect obedience to the Father, gives himself over to this kind of suffering and demonstrates for us what it means, what it means to have a holy obedience, to really turn our lives over to everything that God wants, even if what God has ordained for us um, is, a, is a path of difficulty. One of, the, one of the things that I think about often when I read or hear um, passages from the suffering servant is, is, the, virtue of, is the virtue of perseverance um, mm-hmm. and how in imitating Christ, uh, we are called to live that virtue of, of perseverance to, um, to sort of withstand by whatever means the the difficulties in our life whether that's you know sort of suffering them quietly or speaking out against injustice or proclaiming the truth these sorts of things but that all falls under the uh, virtue of perseverance and 
One of the things that I think is important for us to remember in the spiritual life, in our, in our relationship with Christ, is that though we're called to be perfect, we're not rewarded for our perfection, but reward, we are rewarded for our faithfulness and for our perseverance. Um, our Lord's grace makes us perfect, but there's nothing that we can do. There's not, nothing that we um, can sort of do better that, that then demands the grace of God. Grace is always a meritorious gift, and we're rewarded for our faithfulness, for our perseverance. So in living these, in living the virtues, and as I've been talking about perseverance, thinking about this reading, this prophecy from Isaiah, um, we really imitate Christ. We don't live a virtuous life because they've, or strive to live a virtuous life because the virtues have somehow been thought of in a vacuum as kind of a way to live well, but because Christ lives the virtues perfectly, and in doing so, we imitate Christ. As Father Patrick just said, Christ was faithful and obedient to the Father. Um, we can think too, as we're entering into Holy Week, the agony in the garden, where even though Christ suffered, he still was obedient and obedient unto death. Um, and in, in similar ways, of course, not to the same degree as Christ, we're, we're called to persevere in our sufferings. Um, not as a way to sort of be beaten down or kind of like a masochistic Catholic guilt, like no, I'm just bad, so I have to kind of sit in that and stew in that. But be, because that is transformed, God can transform that. Um, the suffering of Christ is transformative. It's a power that, that raises us up to new life, to new life in him. Usually when I say something after someone else, I usually say, you know, like to piggyback on that thought or to follow up that thought. But uh, what I'm about to say is basically unrelated, so I won't do that. <laughs> so here's for something completely different. Um, as Father Patrick mentioned, you know, this is one of the servant songs, one of the four servant songs of the book of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, the fourth one is the one that we think of most readily. This is the third one. And in it, I think that we have the association of salvation with prophecy. Okay, what does that mean? Well, when we talk about the servant songs, we think about them in terms of salvation. We associate them with the Lord Jesus, which in the Christian tradition, you know, the interpretation of those texts is basically unanimous, which is crazy because in the Jewish tradition, it's not, you know, um, Jews read these texts and they think, you know, is it the prophet Isaiah? Is it Jeremiah? Is it one of the sons of Hezekiah? Is it the people of Israel? You know, it's like, it's kind of hard to say from within their interpretive paradigm. But for us, it's just so abundantly clear that this is the Lord Jesus. But it's still situated in a prophetic book. So we hear, the Lord has given me a well-trained tongue that I might know how to speak to the weary word that will rouse them. He opens my ear that I may hear. So there's a sense of like hearing the word of God and proclaiming the word of God or speaking, not like, you know, speak truth to power, but, but speaking salvation. So it's not merely the fact that, well, it's a big fact that Christ merits for us our salvation. He sacrifices for us. He makes satisfaction. He redeems us, but also that there's like a content to it. The Lord is communicating to us mind and heart, and there's an intelligible content to salvation and he's testifying to it. So if that's the case, then salvation always has, you know, a kind of thought world associated with it. And you can think here of a, a billion other connections, but I'm thinking just of the fact that we are told to repent at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, from which uh, this week's Gospel is taken. Uh, the word there, you know, metanoia, with which many of us are familiar, just means like basically to think beyond or to have a new mind. Um, so salvation entails thinking differently. Uh, and the Lord Jesus makes it possible, right? He, he merits it for us in our flesh, and uh, he also communicates it to us in salvation. Excellent. Let's move on to our second reading from St. Paul to the Philippians. 
A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found human in appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage from the second chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians is is often um, understood to be a sort of early Christian hymn or it's or canticle. Sometimes it's called the Canticle to the Philippians. And throughout St. Paul's letters, there are a number of these of these sort of hymns that St. Paul takes up um, and, and includes in his in his letters, which is interesting to think about. Even how like the first, the earliest Christians would have actually perhaps sung this rather than just heard it in a letter. And St. Paul didn't create it, but he's using it to sort of spread the gospel throughout these early. Christian communities. Um, and I mean, it's quite popular too. We have, there are hymns based off of it at the name of Jesus. That, that great hymn is taken from this text and um, I guess fairly well known. Uh, one of the things that, that strikes me about this is, is the way in which St. Paul uses the hymn to describe or the way in which the hymn describes Christ's humility in his descending, condescending, taking the form of a slave, emptying himself, taking the form of a slave. We can think if we're, we're kind of entering into Holy Week or we are entering into Holy Week in the, in the recreation by grace of, of the world, you know, it's Christ's saving action here. We can think all the way back to the beginning to Adam and Eve and their temptation and their fall in the garden. And when we think about what Adam and Eve did in the garden, um, they, they tried to take for themselves what was really on offer um, as a form of a gift from God. So they tried to seize or to grasp a share in divine life that God was offering for them, but in their pride, tricked by the devil, um, tried to do it on their own terms, tried to sort of usurp God and, and become divine outside of sort of his offer of the gift. And um, to grasp is really the antithesis of the Christian life. Here we see Christ in his saving work does just the opposite. He empties himself. He totally abandons himself to the mission at hand. And if we think about sin, then the cause of original sin, the cause of our own personal sin, um, it's rooted in this misunderstanding of our relationship with God and of what is on offer. We all have this desire to be great. We all have this desire to, to be more than we are. Um, and grace in God's life does that for us. It transforms us. It elevates us. Um, but in the garden, we see where it, where it goes wrong. And sort of here too, who I think of often, at least with Adam and Eve, is, is Our Lady. Um, so Christ, of course, is the great example. But Our Lady receives the same offer. And rather than sort of grasp at it, she, you can think of her Magnificat from the Gospel of Luke. She, she hum, humbly offers her fiat, be it done unto me according to thy word. Such a beautiful kind of antithesis. But I think that this is really at the heart, at heart is a Christocentric um, reality that we're invited to, to share in. So you hear often um, the word kenosis. Uh, it's, it's mentioned here, well, the verb form is mentioned here in this text, which just means to empty uh, or to empty oneself. And so 
you'll, you'll, you'll come across people in the 20th century like Hans Urs von Balthasar who describe themselves as canonic theologians because they place a great emphasis on Christ's self-emptying. Um, so there's, you know, like as Father Jacob Virgin was saying, you know, there's, there's a kind of the Lord empties himself or the Lord humbles himself and took, takes the form of a slave so as to accomplish our salvation. And that this then becomes really the pattern of, of all Christian life and witness. Um, and I think about it too, in terms of the life of a preacher. So um, uh, one of the kind of mottos of the Dominican order is to contemplate and to give to others God contemplated or things contemplated or the fruits of one's contemplation. And there's a sense there that um, in order to be uh, a conduit or a channel by which this preaching act has effect, the preacher needs to empty himself. And this is actually, uh, so like hilarious side point, this is the inspiration for the name of the podcast, Godsplaining. Um, so people in the this, this present age are very sensitive to condescension. I mean, all people are sensitive to condescension because we don't want to be told things by somebody who doesn't care for us. We don't want to be told things from a distance. We don't want to be told things from on high, um, especially if it seems to us that that person doesn't care or if that person is just, um, yeah, kind of imposing his or her will, whatever. Uh, so we're like, we're, we're just very sensitive to these types of things. <clears throat> if you've ever studied with somebody in a group and uh, one person in that group knew the material better than the other person and then they assumed the position of teacher that instantly rankles and you're like, no, don't teach me. I don't care what you have to say. Get out of here. Um, so, so how then do we find a way of navigating inequality in life uh, that doesn't upset other people? And we have the pattern for us in the Lord Jesus. The Lord condescends to us. The word is often used. You know, he empties himself. He condescends to us. He abbreviates the word. He takes the form of a slave. Uh, the word becomes mute. The, the, the creator becomes a creature. It takes to himself a created nature so that we can rise with him, you know, so that we can become God's by virtue of the grace at work within us. And so, yeah, I mean, the name <clears throat> Godsplaining is kind of cute and coy, uh, but it's like mansplaining, uh, that a woman has a dude tell her how to live her life in a way that she already knows, but in a condescending dude way. Uh, so, <laughs> like, the preaching act ought to be a kind of Godsplaining, in as much as the Lord tells us, like, the content of salvation, communicates the content of salvation in a way that doesn't make us feel belittled or demeaned, but actually elevates and ennobles us, and that the preacher ought to be uh, an instrument of that saving act. So, yeah, a little sweet trivial factoid. I want to continue to build on piggyback, as Father <laughs> Gregory would say, <laughs> some of those ideas. Uh, because this verse can, be, this verse can uh, be difficult to some people if you read it closely and out of context. And if you say that Christ only takes the form of a slave or that he's in human likeness or that he's human in appearance, um, and these verses were the source of much debate in the early church for centuries as we worked out um, what it means to say that Christ um, Christ has true humanity, that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Um, and so our understanding of these verses is that Christ did not merely take the form of a slave, but that he took the full form of a slave, that he is human in all things. And this is one of the sources of um, a mystery that Father Jacob Bertrand alluded to earlier, um, that Christ has a human will, um, which has to be subject to the divine will, and that this contest of the wills of Christ um, comes out in the agony of the garden. Anyway, here um, in the Philippians Canticle, in this early Christian hymn, uh, we hear, if we're listening closely, a declaration of Christ's true and absolute humanity, that he has condescended not to be just a little bit like us, uh, but like us in all things that this is the one who is exactly like us in every regard, in every respect, except sin. 
And so uh, this, is, this is what makes it possible for Christ to be glorified, that he could be so, that he could be so like us um, as, to, um, as to be made wonderful, as to be exalted, um, is, uh, is worth our pondering. And that this is the mystery. This is narrating for us um, in just a few verses the whole mystery of Holy Week, um, that, that, Christ would, that Christ would come to us and that he would be exalted. Um, what is the process of that exaltation? Well, the process of that exaltation is the mysteries that are going to unfold for us um, in the next few days. So as we, uh, as we turn our attention to the gospel, um, the gospel on Palm Sunday and on Good Friday, uh, we read from two of the gospels, um, the, the passion narrative of our Lord, Palm Sunday, this year features the gospel, uh, the passion of um, of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. So, uh, in order to um, lead into our discussion on that, we'll read a selection from from the Passion according to the Gospel of Matthew. The Passion of the Lord Jesus Christ according to Saint Matthew. Jesus stood before the governor who questioned him. Are you the King of the Jews? Jesus said. You say so. And when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they are testifying against you? But he did not answer him one word, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now on the occasion of the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had assembled, Pilate said to them, which one, of you, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy they had handed him over. When he was still seated on the bench, his wife sent him a message. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. I suffered much in a dream today because of him. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas, but to destroy Jesus. The governor said to them in reply, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They answered, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. But he said, Why, what evil has he done? They only shouted the louder, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he was not succeeding at all, but that a riot was breaking out instead, he took water and washed his hands in the sight of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Look to it yourselves. And the whole people said in reply, His blood be upon us and upon our children. Then he reached Barabbas to them, but after he had Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus inside the praetorium and gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped off his clothes and threw a scarlet military cloak about him. Weaving a crown out of thorns, they placed it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat upon him and took the reed and kept striking him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the cloak, dressed him in his own clothes, and led him off to crucify him. 
As they were going out, they met a Cyrenian named Simon. This man they pressed into service to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he had tasted it, he refused to drink. After they had crucified him, they divided his garments by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And they placed over his head the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. Those passing by reviled him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, He saved others. He cannot save himself. So he is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. The revolutionaries who were crucified with him also kept abusing him in the same way. From noon onward, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. Which means? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders who heard it said, This one is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran to get a sponge. He soaked it in wine and, putting it on a reed, gave it to him to drink. But the rest said, Wait, let us see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, rocks were split, tombs were opened, the bodies of many saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming forth from their tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. The centurion and the men with him who were keeping watch over Jesus feared greatly when they saw the earthquake and all that was happening. And they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So each year, as we, you know, spend Holy Week uh, in a more intense meditation on the Lord's passion, death, and resurrection, uh, we can think of, of memories of past Holy Weeks that we have spent maybe with our families, with our friends, at school, or at work, you know. Um, and, and certainly these long gospel texts are often ones for which we are not wholly prepared. Uh, I remember being little and finding every way by which to lean up against the pews, either, you know, forward, backward, sideways, you know, drape myself over my brothers and sisters, uh, you know, often to the great consternation of my father, who reminded me that the Lord Jesus hung on the cross for us for three hours. I can stand for 18 minutes. Um, but there's there's something there. Like, we're supposed to feel this text in our bodies. It's not just, um, yeah, it's not just something that you would read kind of casually on a, on a chaise lounge with your feet up, you know, sipping a Mai Tai. It's something that that impresses its form in your body. And that's the very reason for which, you know, parts are assigned. It's not like, let's all participate because if we don't have a role in mass, then we don't matter. No, we're supposed to say the words, let him be crucified, 
because our sins have merited that punishment for the Lord. Um, I think of one of those, uh, let's see, it's a Lent hymn called Ah Holy Jesus. And at the end of one of the verses, it asks, or it says, um, I it was denied thee, I crucified thee. And the words are, they're horrible. Uh, but in every act of penance, we acknowledge the fact, not only do we have disordered desires as a result of original sin that we've inherited, <clears throat> but also that our personal sins have contributed to the death of God, but that God in his great generosity has transformed that moment into one of salvation, that from it we could benefit in such a way as to not fear separation from him, but actually to have abundant life. But it's something that is that we feel. It's something that touches us in our members. It's something that impresses its form on our hearts. St. Matthew's account of the Passion has two um, particularly interesting moments, I think. Um, one of them is the dream of, uh, one of them is the dream of Pilate's wife, um, where, she, where she says, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I suffered much in a dream today because of him. Um, at different points in the scriptures, the Lord uses dreams to communicate his message of salvation, right? Um, we can think of Joseph, who uh, in the Old Testament was the famous interpreter of dreams. Joseph in the New Testament, who received dreams um, from the Lord, uh, angels appearing to him in a dream, both giving him the name of Christ, the promise of salvation, and an instruction to save Christ, um, to take Christ into Egypt, um, and thereby fulfilling an important prophecy. Here we have a dream. Here we have a dream cautioning Pilate um, against crucifying this man. Um, and it's given to him through, through his wife, um, which, I, which I find just a, 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 a striking moment and something worth our continued contemplation. The second line in Matthew's Passion that um, uh, that really struck me this year. I mean, it was one of those one of those moments when I'm reading the Bible and I said, wait a minute, that's actually in there? Uh, <laughs> not, that, not that any of us pretends to know the whole scriptures, but sometimes you're reading something and, it's, and a particular line will, will, will just blow you over and say, wait, I cannot believe that's in there. And as I was praying through the Passion, um, pre preparing, preparing for my preaching this weekend, um, I was struck by this line that, when Christ dies, according to Matthew's passion, many people come forth from their tombs and enter the holy city and appear to many. So we have like some kind of en masse zombie ghost uh, apocalypse going on at the, at the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, those terms are a little bit uh, irreverent, but one, one thing that we, well, they do strike, they do strike at the, at the mystery, right? <laughs> They do, they do strike at the, at, at the mystery that Christ, when he dies, ransoms the souls of the just um, from a kind of hell of separation, from a kind of hell of, um, from a kind of hell of waiting, a hell of expectation, um, from, from a longing for this moment. Um, all of the saints of the just, all of the holy souls have been waiting for Christ to come and redeem them. And even if we don't want to bind ourselves to Matthew's um, historical chronology here, we don't want to say that anyone other than Christ is the firstborn of the dead, right? So we don't want to say that whatever, whatever, these, whatever these figures are, we don't want to say that they're truly resurrected um, in the way that Jesus is resurrected when he comes forth from the tomb. But it makes perfect sense to me to say that, to say that, um, to say that the souls of the just witnessed the death of Christ and rejoiced in it because by it they too were redeemed. This is, this is a most remarkable, uh, most remarkable line. 
One of the things that is, um, I guess, harkens to, to piggyback, harkens to what Father Gregory already said, the sort of the physicality of, of the gospel that we, we feel it in a unique way because of its length, because of the sort of the different characters, our participation in it. Um, one of the other things that in, in reading, at least here, and perhaps um, you might not experience directly this year at home, but is on, um, is that when our Lord dies in the gospel, um, we're instructed to um, kneel and pause for a short time. And we only do this during the gospel two times during the year, on Palm Sunday and on Good Friday, do we kneel during the gospel. Otherwise, we stand. You know, we sit for the other readings. We always stand for the gospel. But here, at the death of our Lord, we pause and kneel for a second. And this should, this should strike us. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're watching a live stream, um, Mass, or these sorts of things, to not just during the gospel, but during the different parts of the mass to still follow the sort of body positions, to stand for the gospel, to kneel during the consecration. Because as Catholics, we pray with our bodies, we're body and soul, and the liturgy really strikes at that. But this kneeling is also should hearken back to our second reading from St. Paul, that at, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend. That before this great mystery, this great sacrifice, this great humility, condescension of God, we kneel. Because as Father Gregory said, that... Christ is crucified for our sins. We kneel in sorrow. We also kneel in recognition of the divinity. We also kneel simply because we are remembering the great sacrifice on the cross, um, that Christ came, came and died for us. In, in this kneeling um, is an acknowledgement of our sinfulness and of our need for a savior, which is the true reality of humility, uh, that we are in need of a savior and in a sense, it disposes us to be raised by no one else but Christ, as Father Patrick was saying, participating in his resurrection. And we bow down in our sinfulness so as to be lifted up by his mercy, by his love, and by his glory. As we wrap up our reflection, our lexio on these Sunday readings, Father Patrick will um, Take us, take us to the end by, by praying the, the, the prayer after communion that is um, designated for this Sunday's, for Palm Sunday's Mass. Let us pray. Nourished with these sacred gifts, we humbly beseech you, O Lord, that just as through the death of your Son, you have brought us to hope for what we believe, so by his resurrection, you may lead us to where you call. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this Sunday's Lectio on God's planning here on Palm Sunday. We know that um, being home, especially during this most holy of weeks, when we would really desire to share together in the church's liturgies on, on the holiest of days on, on Easter is particularly difficult. So we hope that um, our time together offers even a modicum of, of consolation. Um, so know that we're praying for you, that we continue to offer masses for your, all those who listen. Please share the podcast um, to those who you think it might be good for them to hear. Uh, tune in on Thursdays for our continued Back to Basic series and also on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday for our Triduum retreat that'll be um, reflections on various components of our faith during Holy Week. So again, thanks for listening. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning. 
a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.